Hello, are we on the air yet? Welcome to the Core Performance Podcast, taking you one step closer to self-mastery on and off the course. Fire up that growth mindset, and let's dive into the core of elite golf and human performance. Now, here's your hosts, Ian Highfield and Andrew Losey. Hello, Core Performance Podcast. I am your host, Ian Highfield, and welcome to the show. On today's show, we have a guest, and this guest, uh, it's a first, a first of many, I hope. Uh, This guest is actually a parent of one of the Core Golf Academy students. Uh, A few months ago, I was uh, walking around the golf course, watching some of Team Core play in the uh, state championship Uh, and obviously as I'm watching the students I I often speak to the parents and I started to speak uh, to to this parent and he had such an interesting story um, about a book he was writing. He was talking to me about the process that he's going through writing this book, he was talking to me about his uh, motivation to write this book and we started to connect this all the way back round uh, to um, his son's golf and his son's mental game uh, and the stuff that we're teaching at Core Golf. Uh, So it was a super conversation and I'm so happy that we have managed to make this podcast happen. Uh, So sit back, relax uh, and get ready to listen to uh, Mr. Mark Resnick um, one of our many Core Academy parents talk about his upcoming book, 10 Days with Dad, his reasons for writing it, and the journey he went on whilst writing this book. This is a great conversation. Mark is such a motivational, uh, inspirational, caring, thoughtful, and reflective guy that I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast uh, will pick up some great information uh, that they can apply into into their life. Hey, Mark, how are you? Ian, I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me, man. Super excited to be here. Well, we're super excited to uh, to have you on the show. Uh, and obviously, we've got some discussions uh, to be having about a book uh, that you've authored, which is uh, which is obviously very inspirational. It's an amazing thing to complete a book. But before we go into that. Can you tell us a little bit just about who you are uh, and kind of how we met and, and why we're on this uh, this podcast? That'd be an awesome start just to the to the listeners to, to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my son, Sean, uh, Sean Resnick is a student at CORE. He's one of your students. I think this is his third season with CORE and he just loves it. He just loves it. So um, you and I met just over the course of time when you first came on board and we just, we just kind of hit it off right away in terms of our, our interest and passion on the mental part of golf, the men and just mental preparation in general. I, I'm not a golfer per se. Um, I, I, I hack around a little bit, but nothing like my son. Sean. <laughs> you're not as good as Sean. That, that's really what you're trying to say right there without saying it. You're not quite as good as Sean. <laughs> Yeah. And it's not even close. So and I have no problem <laughs> saying that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm always, you know, you know, Sean's uh, physical game is, is is good. 
and and I'm always sort of subtly kind of pushing the mental part of it. You know, it's just it's just been something I've I've always been interested in, and just you know why people perform the way they do, and 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 really honestly, just learning from my own mistakes in my own life. Just you know, I wish I had done it this way when I was a kid. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I'm Sean's dad. Uh, I am a first time author. Uh, the book is called Ten Days with Dad: Finding uh, purpose, passion, and peace during the darkest days of Alzheimer's. So obviously my dad uh, is an Alzheimer's, uh, was a patient, now is a victim. He passed away in August uh, after a seven-year battle with Alzheimer's. And, you know, just, just along the way, Ian, um, I started to you know, keep in my journal ways. I was just writing in my journal about my dad and what I was going through. I just needed a, something to to. To, I just needed to, to grieve a little bit, you know, vent a little bit. So I, yeah. I turned to my journal and, and all of a sudden I, I, I just I said, there's, there's something more here than just the journal entries. Um, and, and I thought there was some good messages that I could, that I was, uh, I could bring about this and share with my children. So, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, you talked about when, when we met, we, we first connected and, and conversations seemed to be pretty free flowing. Um, my grandma had Alzheimer's at the time. I, I would, I'm going to guess I was about seven, eight years old. Um, and I remember she called my, my dad, um, his brother's name. And my brother had, my, my dad's brother had died in a car crash 10 years prior to that. Uh, and it actually turned out that my grandma thought my my dad had passed away and that my brother was still alive. Um, and at seven, eight years old, I just thought that was strange. Um, and some other things that were going around, I just perceived, you know, going to visit grandma was a little strange and there's something not quite right. At, at 40 years old, reflecting on that, I can't even imagine how my dad felt watching this, this confusion and you know, the, the, the lady that's raised him sort of go down this, this, this road. Um, so I, I'm going to read it from that standpoint to try and have a little bit more compassion about maybe what, what my dad went through and what baggage uh, he potentially carries today um, because of that. Um, but, but prior to we talk about the book, I think another place we connected and, and you said it was you're very interested in the mental game because of maybe your mistakes that, that you've made and, and you're trying to, to like learn from them and evolve your mindset. I, I think when we spoke, a lot of the reasons I'm at core golf are because of the failings that I had when I was Sean's age. And I've now realized, you know, journaling, meditation, uh, exercise, uh, just the small thing, gratitude, um, just the small things that you can do on a daily basis, a process-focused mindset as opposed to an outcome, goal setting, all of those things are so important um, to develop, but very hard to develop in the, in the modern world. Um, so I'm at core because I failed. I didn't do those things. I'm trying to teach Sean uh, these, these concepts so that they become habits in his life. And you mentioned at the start there that 
you know, one of the things you're trying to do is always learn from your failings. So I think maybe we connected over that as well. We have similar internal motivators. Can you explain that a little bit more with regard to yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, that's a lot to unpack. You, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. you certainly didn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I do remember the conversation about your grandmother and that that must have been, I, I can't even imagine watching, you know, as a kid watching somebody go through it because you don't really know what's going on. Not at the time, so no was, idea. No. Um, first of all, you didn't fail growing up. Neither one of us failed. And, mm. you know, that's one of the, the key lessons I got out of the book is that um, I thought I was a failure. And I thought, you know, I was a hockey player, not a golfer. So um, I played in college golf and I mean, sorry, excuse me, college hockey. I did fairly well with it. Um, and, I've, you know, I've been fairly successful in my life, but I've, I've never considered myself successful. I've never I never thought I was a complete failure, obviously, but I we're not failures. We're just uh, we're sort of just on our own path. You know what I mean? And yep. we, we have made a lot of mistakes. And I think what what you and I are. Um, I'm trying to say is that, you know, I don't want to say we've had regrets, but I think we, we've missed opportunities just out of based out of immaturity or just the, the, how we grew up. And I think where we're, the struggle, the challenges, we're always trying to take our experiences and, and learn from them and sort of impart them on our children, in, in my case. You know, so I'm like, I, I, Sean and I are so different. You know what I mean? Like I was a grinder, you know, Sean's got natural talent. I was a grinder. I didn't have natural talent. I had to work twice as hard as anyone else. And here I have this son who's just gifted. But at the same time, my mental game was, was a lot tougher than his. And I'm, I'm, and I'm trying to sort of impart my, my experiences as, as a kid as a teenager and as a young adult and now as a father and trying to get him to be a little bit more mentally tough. The Core Performance Podcast. So, uh, Mark, you said something very interesting there. You said we're, we're not failures. Uh, and and I, I completely um, agree with that. Um, and I think a lot of that depends as well on your definition of, of failure. Um, what I'm trying to do at core is uh, explain to the students that that failure is inevitable and you you learn from your failures. Uh, so I'm actually super grateful. Like yourself, I wasn't uh, necessarily a um, a great golfer. I was a, a good high school golfer and I, I competed at state level and I I won at state level. But I played rugby in college, and it was when I got to college that in inverted commas, I failed. I didn't get to that next level. And the reason I believe that I didn't get to that next level is because I didn't create, I didn't have an environment. I didn't learn the, the things that I mentioned before. I didn't learn about a growth mindset. I didn't learn about a process focus. I didn't learn about goal setting. All the things we're trying to teach at core, I didn't learn about. However, I did learn about it when I was 26. <laughs> And from the age of 26 to 40 now, I've imparted those things and I've been um, a lot happier. Um, so even when I use the word failure, I'm not perceiving myself as failure. I'm almost perceiving failure as a good thing. Like it built me and it gave me those uh, stepping stones uh, to, towards success, if you like. 
So for you on your journey, let's, let's focus in on the book. When you were writing, were there any times where you were struggling or you were failing and you felt like quitting, um, but you didn't? And why? Why didn't you? How, how did you overcome those hurdles and, and those um, speed bumps in the road when it, when it came to, to writing this book? Yeah, great question. Uh, so the, the interesting part about the book is that it's, it was originally, I thought a story about my dad. I thought it was a story about my dad and, and his journey with Alzheimer's, but it, it quickly morphed into my story. Um, just watching him, there was nothing unusual about growing up with, with divorced parents in the 1970s, early 80s. What was special about my situation was that my dad was the one who stayed in the house. My mom moved out. That was very unusual back then. So here we are. We've got my dad. I have two brothers. So there's three, there's four guys in the house. And, you know, my dad didn't know how to cook or do the laundry. And here he is. He has to figure everything out for himself. And it was a very unusual upbringing because we, we didn't have a maternal figure in the house. So we, we, we kind of had to figure it out ourselves, including my dad. We weren't, uh, we, we were close, but not emotionally close. There wasn't a lot of emotions in the house. So I, so I kind of grew up, I don't want to say unemotionally or cold. I just grew up in, a, in an environment that, you know, fend for yourself. Um, and you just, just kind of figure it, suck it up and figure it out, which is the complete opposite of how most people parent these days, right? It's just, it's just not like that. We're super yeah. involved in our kids' lives. Um, for me, the book was, I, I've always wanted to write. And the two things collided. My dad's, um, diagnosis alzheimer's diagnosis covid uh and, and then this my desire to write uh express myself at the same time the three worlds collided so it was it was a good timing for me to, to sort of experiment with this the writing was uh it was about three years from start to finish it took that long and uh there were times where in the beginning of the, of the process the writing was great i loved the writing I, I would go to bed at night thinking about it and I would wake up thinking about it at the same time. I was just super passionate about it, but it was a grind. Um, it, it's a grind when you get that first draft done and, it, and it's total garbage, right? Uh, it took about 10 months to get that first draft out. And I was like, great, I'm, I'm done with the first draft. But it was pretty bad. Like every writer's <laughs> first draft. Is. <laughs> How do you know it was, in, in your words, pretty bad? Had you sent it to publishers? Did you give it to people that, you valued did you give it to experts like what was what was the process for you yeah no i i knew it was bad because it was more or less a brain dump right i was just yeah. trying to get all the words onto the pages and I, I was just dumping everything out it was sort of unorganized it was very stream of conscious it wasn't a lot of flow there wasn't a lot of structure i did a lot of telling not a lot of showing in my writing with with i needed more examples as somebody who's you know you know interested in writing and has been a pretty good writer his whole life, I, I knew it was like, all right, this is very unpolished. Um, at, at the same time, Ian, I actually I actually enrolled in some courses online, and and so I had some some coaching, so to speak, because I, I wanted to take this seriously, and I knew if um, if I invested in this, if I actually put money down in some courses and some coaching, uh, it was accountability. Um, it, it's it's like Sean and Core, right? It's Hey, we're paying a lot of money for you to be here and, and I'm going to hold you accountable. You know, I hate to say it in those terms that this is an investment, but 
but it is. I'm investing in, in your future. You know, and I need you to be accountable. I've given free golf lessons in my time, especially at the at the start of my career, or I free sports psychology consultations never work as well as if someone has some skin in the game. So I, I couldn't agree more. I, I really, really do see that. It, if you put money down, it shows a certain level of commitment. It forces, it creates a certain level of accountability. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, 100%. And, and so the, the book went through some iterations. I, I you know, they, they teach, you know, basically get to get the first draft done, do some rewriting, get another draft done, polished. And when you feel like you're ready to send it off to an editor, you know, then do it, which is what I did. So um, I sent it to an editor. She was great. And she just really helped me clean things up, moved. We moved things around. We added more stories. We took out some things that weren't relevant. Uh, it, it was great throughout this process. It, it's a, a lot of highs and lows, right? You're very excited about the book. And then you're like, this stinks. Nobody's going to read it. You know, <laughs> and you're just like down in the dumps. And then, and then you go back up to another, uh, it's peaks and valleys. Um, at the end of the day, though, by the time the editor was done with her edits and I was finished writing it, um, I, I feel it's never going to be perfect. Just like golf, your, your game's never going to be perfect. You're, you're always going to be able to replay that round in your head. And say, I should have done this. I should have done that. But at some point you have to move on. And my book is at that process now where it's, it's, it's very good. It's not perfect. And I'm ready to share my message with the world. And the funny thing about the book is, is that it's a memoir. Uh, it's a memoir with a message. It, it could almost be as described as self-help because the last section of the book, basically um, I've come up with my life commandments. You, you know, my dad was a hockey coach and he had his hockey commandments. And before every game, we used to recite these commandments, you know, just to prepare us for the game. And so it was a nice transition into sort of my own, very simple, these are the lessons or commandments or rules that I've learned from my dad or watching him. And these are the lessons I'm sort of trying to leave for my children. And, you know, one of them is don't, you know, never quit. You know, one of them is give more, expect less. And all these little, little simple commandments that I've spelled out Honestly, Ian, in the back of my mind, I'm writing this for my children, right? You know, every yeah. time I wrote a commandment, I'm like, the stories were really geared for them so that they read this and say, oh, okay, right, right. I can't give up. You know, I, I, I can't quit. I'm so never going to be perfect, but I can't quit. Let, let me ask you a little bit about that. Do you use them as like um, affirmations or um incantations you know things you would every day you would get up set time aside purposely say these things to yourself or are they habits that from the environment of living in a home four guys your father that emerged from that environment that you found yourself doing that have create that has created a certain level of um efficiency in in your life or success or however you want to place it in your life like which road did you take or was it a combination of both more the latter uh, and, I, and i'll tell you why um uh, honestly in the last three years have been brutal uh, I mean, COVID has been 
impactful in my my own family. My wife has had long haul for six plus months and since is still struggling with it. Obviously, my dad's Alzheimer's only got declined rapidly these last three years and eventually passed away. The last three years have been have been really hard for us, yeah, as a family. And honest to God, though, despite the 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 pain, I've never been happier in my entire life. And it's 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 because I went through that journey with my dad because I was able to reflect um, on my life and kind of analyze it. And, and basically I, I, I kind of, at the end of the, really the book's about forgiveness and finding love. It's really about forgiving yourself, the final commandment. And I never would have been able to have done that had I not gone through this process. So, I, I mean, literally they're not affirmations, but I'm very much aware that those 10 sort of rules, those kind of thoughts are, are part of my everyday life that have made me at this point, I'm almost 50 years old. I'm happier. I'm, I'm more calm. Like you said earlier, that, that failure is, is failure is feedback. I, I take everything just so differently now because of this experience. So they're not affirmations, but I'm very much aware of them. And I'm, and I'm very much aware of subtly trying to influence my own family with those, with those, those commandments. Awesome. So can you, uh, not, not to, you know, you you said this has been a very hard time, so we don't, I don't necessarily want to rehash it, but just to be clear on the, on the timeframe, your father got this diagnosis at the same time as, as COVID um, hit. Okay. So um, my dad was diagnosed in 2014. That was seven years ago. Okay. And, and so as his disease declined, then COVID really ramped up. And the, the, what happened was the impetus for the book was um, my dad could no longer live on his own. You know, his, his Alzheimer's, he couldn't take his yeah. medication. He couldn't drive anymore. He couldn't cook meals. I went to visit him one day, Ian, because we were taking turns, my brothers and I visiting him just to make sure he was okay, feeding him. And one day I went and he was just banged up. He was just, he, he had some, his dementia had, uh, his Alzheimer's had some hallucination effects and he would uh, see these little, we called them demons and they, they didn't hurt him, but they, you know, they were in the house and his hallucinations were really getting out of control. I went to visit him this day and literally I just said, we're out of here. I packed him up and, and took him home. Wow. And um, we were, we were trying to find him an assisted living arrangement anyhow I said, enough is enough. Let's go. And he spent 10 days with my family here in Walpole. And, and while we were looking to lock in a, a, an assisted living home, I was just, I was his caregiver for 10 days. And it was, it was a wild experience. It was just, it was heartbreaking. It was funny. It was, mm. uh, we just, we experienced so much love and companionship. And at the same time, he, you know, he ended up going to the emergency rooms. It was a really tough week, but that was the kickoff. That was the, the brainchild for this, um, this story here. And, and just further, when he went to assisted living, it was, it was 10 months, uh, in the next town over. And I saw him every day for 10 months. And I, I got to know him better than at any point in my life. We became even closer. Wow. So there was, there was a lot of hidden blessings. That was a huge blessing in my life. COVID hit right as this, 
after the first year of him in assisted living, COVID really ramped up to the point where once he moved from the assisted living to a nursing home, a month into the nursing home, COVID hit and we couldn't see him for almost six months. Wow. That was one I was wondering and wondered if there was a correlation or a causation or something between between the two. Do you believe that like the, the, the friendship and the companionship that you and him are building um, when that was removed, you know, that potentially is a, is a better medication than any pill that you can, that you can swallow. And, and, and when that was removed, do you feel like, not that it was removed when it couldn't be as personable as it, as it was, do you feel like that had an impact on, on the, the, his decline? It had a massive impact. Wow. Um, because I was seeing him every day, I, I was pretty much the last person he he recognized. Whereas his his partner, his my stepmom, was really almost one of the first to be unrecognized by him. And then everybody kind of worked backwards from there. But because I was with him all the time, I was sort of the last one to be unrecognized. That break. And I read about it in the book, that break really um, killed it. Uh, it. It probably killed him in the sense that he was in isolation in the nursing home. The problem yeah. was huge, right? COVID. So he was in his room. He wasn't even with other residents most of the time. Wow. And by the time we were able to go back and see him on a regular basis, you know, we had a, a couple of months left and, and then eventually we, we had the, the, you know, the last time he recognized me was, was probably in the fall of, you know, 2020. So it was, it was tough. COVID was tough. Yeah. I, you know, again, you go in, you go into this, this story and you've said certain things about the, the back, the background that you were brought up in and the home environment. And the, again, I think one of the reasons we connected this, a lot of similarities with maybe how, how my family was to an, to an extent, um, and I haven't seen my parents for maybe coming up to two and a half years because they're in England. I haven't been able to, to travel. They, well, that's not strictly true. I have been able to travel, but every time I've tried to travel, something's come up. This Christmas, it was Omicron. Prior mm -hmm. to that, my wedding, my parents couldn't come to my wedding um, because of their international travel ban. Prior to that, COVID got real bad, and there was two tickets that I'd already booked that had to be uh, returned. Now, my parents are in pretty good health, uh, and it's it's hard for me, who you know I'm, I'm I'm I have absolute respect for my dad. I I, I love my mum and dad, and but we're not the warmest or the closest of families in we're not sitting on each other's knee and we're not hugging it out at Christmas. We're more like playing games, bowling and trying to win and, and joking around. So even someone who isn't from the, the most absolute loving um, and, and connected family that see each other on a weekly basis, this has been hard for me. I'm surprised actually recently how much it's weighed on my, on my mind. So much so that I started talking to my wife about it. Um, a lot of my frustrations that, you know, when I shout at the TV, whether we're watching Fox or CNN or CNBC, it doesn't matter to me anymore, whether it's the British government, the U S government, I'm shouting at everyone just because I want to go home and see my mom and dad. So that's hard for me. I can't even 
imagine uh, how hard it was for you. Um, so I did pick up on something you said. You said you laughed a lot. Um, so I want to try and like shift gears on the podcast before maybe I start crying or something. That way. <laughs> um, can you tell us a couple of the funny stories? Like you said, you laughed a lot. Do you mind sharing some of the things that, that made you laugh and, and the joy that you, that you found from maybe seeing a, a different side of your father or building this uh, different kind of relationship? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, before I do that, I, I, I want to say that the, the ultimate takeaway from the book, Ian, is, is basically, you know, don't wait for Alzheimer's to hit. Don't wait for tragedy or a cancer or a life-altering event in, in, in your own life to sort of want to change your ways, right? You know, and, and, and I'd, I'd say the same to you in some ways, get home somehow. I know, I know you can probably travel to them before they can travel to you, but, but our, our, our ride, our, our ride in this life of this bus ride of life is so short. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to tell the message of the book is we only have so much time and life happens. Things get in the way. We, we have obstacles to overcome, but you, you gotta, you gotta go through those obstacles right now. So you don't look back 20 years from now and say, man, why didn't I do this, this, or that? So it, that's the path that I'm on is, is that um, I treat, I treat, I treat every day as a blessing. And, and I, I know it sounds hokey, but when you go through something like this, you, you really do believe it. You know, I'm, I'm, I put my family first. I'm putting my, my life ahead of even, even my business in some ways. I've just had a total sh mind, mindset shift. Um, which, which is what I hope other people do when they read the book. But my dad, my dad and I share a lot in common, a lot in common. We both, we both have, sort of have a, a quirky sense of humor. Um, he, he was a funny man, but he, he was a terrible joke teller. And, and so am I. Uh, but I laughed my ass off so many times with my dad. Uh, and part of it was because of Alzheimer's. I mean, he would just say outrageous things. You know, uh, he, he, <laughs> he had, uh, a girlfriend and his assisted living place. They thought they were a couple, which, which is fantastic by the way, because you know, the, when they have somebody like that, that they can yeah. hang out with, it just makes a world of difference. And one day we're driving uh, to my brother's house. It was my dad's birthday actually. And uh, he just splurts out. He's sitting in the front seat. He just blurts out. Did, did I tell you that Mary is pregnant? And, and I'm driving. <laughs> I'm like, what? Everyone in the car perks up. My wife, my kids. I, I look at my wife. She's got the camera out. I said, "Dad, say that again." She goes, "Well, Mary is pregnant." So I've heard, and I'm just, and I'm just like, and I'm like, "Really? Are you sure?" I said, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's pregnant." And I'm like, "Oh my god!" It was just so many moments like that where his his Alzheimer's would go from his brain to his mouth and it wouldn't come out right. Um, let's see, my my dad. <laughs> Uh, he would, he would just, you know, Hey dad, give me, you know, I, I would record him often just to, for prosperity. You know, I just wanted to record his voice and his our yep. conversations. You know, dad, give me some advice. Give me a tip. And he would say things like, you know, uh, <laughs> just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank because it's in the book and I'm, I'm drawing a huge blank, but he, he would give me this advice, like, you know, uh, but he, he he was able to join in the laughter with you as well, and it and it it all felt natural, and it all felt almost 
a positive coming from this this negative situation that you were in? Yes, yes. I I wasn't I wasn't I was more laughing with with, with him. him than Adam. Yeah, there you uh, go. For yeah. sure. Okay. Yeah, and and he was just so sweet. Um, he he was just a, a sweet man. And even though he had trouble expressing his emotions and love with us growing up, I mean, he was a single parent. He was, yeah. was working. He was coaching hockey. He was uh, cooking, cleaning, doing the laundry, doing the odd work, taxes. I mean, he was busy. Yeah. It wasn't. A, that's not an excuse for his lack of nurture. But he did. He he did have a lot going on. He did the best he could under the circumstances. Did he Did he show um, it in different ways? Um, you know, I've read that book. <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say this. The Five Love Languages by uh, Gary Chapman. I think it mm-hmm. was given to me by an ex-partner, so that can tell you maybe a bit about myself. <laughs> um, I heard it's a great book, by the way. Yeah, you know, and, and some people express um, love verbally. Some will do it with, uh, like, acts of service. So I feel like when I clean the kitchen and clean the living room and my wife just walks in and just sits on the sofa, I'm like, does she not see everything that I've done today? But she would much rather me be like, hey, love you. Hope you had a great day. You know, so I, I learned a little bit. Or, well, I learned a lot, I guess, from from that book. Did he show his his affection in, in any other way, shape or form? Because the reason I ask, my dad was my rugby coach. Um, so my dad verbally would never um, sort of express his, his love. My dad would never really give you a big hug or say he's proud of you. But what he did was every Sunday from the age of seven (laughs) till I was 16, 17, he was my rugby coach. I can't even imagine giving up that kind of time commitment from 38 years old to to whenever. Uh, and he wasn't just my rugby coach. He was a phenomenal rugby coach. We was, a, it was our rugby team was almost like a little bit of a mighty duck story. We were terrible in year one and we were by far the best in state by year five. Um, and I think that's where a lot of my coaching philosophy comes from and, and daring to be different and pushing the norm. So I know that's how my dad showed me um, here that, that I was his son and he cared for me. Did, did your dad, come from any other angle and, and show affection yes he did i find that fascinating uh, uh the, you, we had similar experiences with our father's coaching and that's how you know i i took I, that's how i was was a coach with him just pushing the boundaries trying something different my dad was a lot like her brooks like he would try things that who, who was, is, uh, you'll have to excuse my ignorance being from the uk who who is that Sure, sure. He he's the coach of the 1980 uh, USA hockey team, the Miracle oh, on Ice. Oh, the Miracle. I've seen the movie. Yeah. yeah, I do know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was, you know, Herb was was infamous for you know just going against the grain, and and he was a student of the game. He was constantly learning from other coaches, Herb, and and so was my dad. He he picked up a lot of things from other people. wasn't afraid to steal ideas and just try new things. And and that's where the Ten Commandments came from. I mean, no no coach in their right mind was having their kids recite, uh, you know, their kids recite, uh, recite their commandments before every game, but he got us to do it. We bought into it anyways. So it's interesting that we had a similar experience with our father's coaching and driving home from the game. You, you probably had something similar. If he asked you, if you asked your dad, how did I do today? He'd be like, Oh yeah, you did, you did good. But he, he wouldn't really dissect the game. 
you know, he wouldn't really break down, well, you need to work on this, work on that. You know, he wasn't very expressive in that regard. Yeah. Uh, on the ice he was, or yeah. behind the bench. But once we got in the car, it wasn't it wasn't like that. My my dad expressed his love by being there for us. Literally, he he never missed a soccer game. Yeah, um, same, he, yeah. You know, he just was he was that parent off in the corner. Even if he was late, he was there. Hockey was a little bit trickier because we had three three of us playing and we had different rinks across the yeah. state. Um, but but in high school, he never missed a game. And in college, he used to drive two and a half hours to watch a hot college hockey game and then drive back that night. So my dad expressed his love by 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 being there and also by giving us opportunities. You know, yeah. going to a private school was was a big deal for him. It was, a, it was you know, he had to take a, a line of credit on the house, but he did it. He, like he, yeah. he just stretched his capabilities um, on, on his own. And so, so that's how we expressed it, which was, which I was in looking back, I'm extremely grateful for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want to, I want to begin to wrap up, but well, I, I don't want to begin to wrap up. I could talk for like three hours. I think that's one of my downfalls, right? If I don't start wrapping up, we'll be on here for forever. So this week at core, the students are, were taught a goal setting process. What do you want to achieve? That's your outcome. That's uncontrollable. You cannot generally control the outcome. Like if I want to play at Notre Dame, that's an outcome that you cannot control because you can't control your score. You can't control where your golf ball goes. You can't control what another coach thinks of you. You can't control how other people play. So whenever we set a goal, whenever we set an outcome goal, we ask the students to declare how they're going to get to that goal. They're the controllables, the, the process, as we call it. And we declare why we want it. So obviously your goal was to write this book. That was the, the end goal, the, the, the end outcome. Um, maybe it was to self-publish. Maybe it was to get someone else to publish. But you've got this big goal like daunting, almost overwhelming goal. Probably how some of our students feel about trying to play college golf. Maybe even how Sean feels at times about um, getting to college and, and playing the game he loves in college. So can you just, again, I know you've touched upon it in the podcast, but what were a couple of the processes? What were a couple of your hows? Um you know, did you set aside specific times? Did you obviously you've talked about the um, the publisher that, that you connected with and the investment in courses, their how goals, right? And then you've 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 talked about why. But I guess what I would love is just a synopsis of how and why, just really emphasizing the real key processes that worked for you and your absolute motivation that that kept you pushing. Um, so the what was to write a book. So the key hows and your key motivation. Yeah, first of all, I, I love what you're doing with the, with the guys at core and girls at core. I mean, this the goal setting thing, I can't understate it. It's massive. Yeah. And kids don't want to hear that from their own parents. They need an outside person to reinforce that message. So I, I thank you for doing that. I love it. Um, like you, I have a vision board. Um, I have my mantras. I... I'm a huge believer in, in just visualizing what I, what I want to happen. In this case, it was simply just get the book done. And in the beginning, 
in the beginning was just yeah. just let me finish the book because the stat is like 80% of people at some point in their life would love or be interested in writing a book and, and less than 1% do. So it's a it's a big it's a big goal, right? But then I I I changed my goals. I kind of changed the goals as I, as I was going just like the kids do whereas I just want to make the varsity golf team high school. No, I want to play I want to play golf, college golf. No, I actually I want to play division 1 golf. So I love how the kids kind of and that happened to me too. And I'm writing the book, right? It went from writing it to, you know what? I'd love to get 2,500 copies sold. And now it's like my, my big dream, my big hairy goal is, is 10,000 copies sold. So whether, is it going to happen? I have no idea, but that's what I visualize. That's what I think about every day. Um, the process for me was I'm a night person. A lot of writers get up early and, and that's when they're most clear, even, even professionals, right? In the morning, your inbox, you, you can put it aside. Nobody's at work yet. You can really focus on yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm a creative person at night. So my process was, um, I went through my work day, got the kids ready, you know, did my dinner cooking. I cooked the dinners for my family, cleaned the kitchen, and then I would sit and write sometimes an hour, sometimes three, sometimes it was one o'clock in the morning. And I was like, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta go to bed. But like, if I was in the zone, I, I kept going. And I, and I think the kids get like that too. You know, you drop them off at the range and then, you know, I'll pick you up in an hour and they're like, dad, can I stay a little longer? I'm just kind of in the zone. And it's the same with writing. And when you, when you do what you love to do, it's just not a chore to grind it out. Um, my, my challenge was, was not the process was not setting time aside. I, I was good at that. It was just the, the mental part. Who's going to want to read this? Or am I good enough to play college golf? Yeah, there you go. That's very, that's very interesting. But ultimately, and it's, so this is me coming in. If you were a student, the goal wasn't to necessarily get people to read it when you understand why you did this. Right. So did, did you have to work on your own self-talk? Like the, the way that you, did you find your brain was talking to you? and creating self-doubt and did you have to work on talking to your brain to keep you on in the process um I, i'll give an example right like i think maybe earlier or even just then no one's gonna read this that's not true you're gonna read it and maybe at least you know one other person that's gonna read it so that self-talk no one's gonna want to read this that's a cognitive distortion. It's incorrect. And I think a lot of people quit because they'll say something to themselves. It will be cognitively distorted and they won't catch the distortion. And then they'll stop. They'll believe what their brain is saying. Now, at some point, I'm guessing you caught the cognitive distortions and you reframed them. Am, am I, am I yeah. correct? No, no, yeah. no. So if you can build on that, that would be awesome. Yeah, no, no, hundred percent. I, I caught myself um, fairly quickly in the process about that. Uh, again, because like you said, uh, honestly, initially it was who's going to, who, who is going to want to read this. But then as I started writing and getting into it, I, I knew that people would read it. It, it might be 25 people. And then as I got more, developed and polished and committed to it just as a student would in his golf game i started to believe in myself 
You know what I mean? So like I, after I put the reps in, I got one chapter done two. I got, I got six done. What, as I built my muscles, my writing muscles, as I just, as a kid would, would build his reps in, you know, maybe it was one out of every five shots is pure. And then I went to three out of five shots, you know, and it yeah. was like, all right, I started building my confidence only after I put the time in, in the beginning, you know, there's just no confidence, but the more I wrote, the more I believed in myself. Uh, so that, that was huge. And, and honestly, because of what was going on in my life, um, I was in a pretty good place mentally to overcome those, those challenges. I was, I, I was pretty strong. Look, if you can, if you can go through your dad, you know, declining from Alzheimer's, you, you can almost get through anything. That, that's yeah. how I felt. So it, it, I had a lot of things in, in my favor while I was writing the book, but, but definitely I had to reframe that, that question. And, and eventually it was not who's going to read this, but how many people are going to read this. Okay. Awesome. I got excited about that. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was it's, it's, it's exciting. So your self-talk changed as this process, the more you immersed yourself in it, the more you did actually putting yourself in the situation, in that environment, becoming a writer your self-talk started to transition almost just naturally. And those cognitive distortions kind of, kind of went away. Um, awesome. Because that, that's something that the kids go through, right? They shoot 74, 70, 78, 72, 86. Oh, I'm never going to get into college now. That's what they believe about the 86. That's not true. That's a distortion right. that we have to pick up on. And we have to reframe that. No, you've probably got more chance of getting into college because let's look at your weaknesses and then let's address them in practice. So I'm very interested in how people talk to themselves because I think ultimately when you have a dream and a goal and you don't go after it, you're either listening to your cognitive distortions and you're letting your brain run you. You're not running your brain or you don't know your motivation. You don't know your true intrinsic motivator. So just before we, we wrap up, I would love you to just go through, you know, again, I know you've said it in, in parts, but just to wrap up, what was the true driver, the true motivation um, behind this book? The why, if you like, we've, we've covered the what yeah. we've covered the how, why, what was really the, if you can try and summarize it and yeah. there's multiple, that's so hard. I, I'm almost giving you an impossible question because you've talked about so many internal motivators from so many different parts of your life, but can you find that one? Do you know that one that was right at your core? P pun intended by the yes. way. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fair question. And one that I've thought about a lot, I should have the answer to, and I do at, at the end of the day, I wanted to, again, my, my target audience initially was my children, right? If, if those three were the only, uh, the only three who read it and to get something out of it, I'll be thrilled. Um, so I, I wrote it with them in mind, but the, the why is I, I want them and everyone else to believe that it's, it's never too late and it's never too early to pursue your passion. That's, that's really the why I, I want people to know that don't wait for, 
tragedy or illness or something bad to happen in your life to change yourself, to lose weight, to become a better student. Do it now because you want to do it. Do it for yourself. So whether you're 15 or 50, it's never too late. It's never too early to pursue your passion because one, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the trajectory of your life. It just will. Um, you'll, you'll just be so relieved and happy and proud of yourself for, for fighting for something that you, you really love to do. My fear is that so many people at the end of their life look back and say, oh my God, I wish I had, I wish I had done this, 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 and this, and, and they just don't get it done. So that's the why. I, I just, I don't want people to have an excuse, you know, get rid of the excuse. I want them to overcome their challenges right now. I want them to pursue what's their interests, their goals, their dreams. Look, I'm not, I'm not saying as a 50-year-old, I have a chance to play on the PGA Tour. But if I'm passionate about the game of golf, as an example, you know, what am I going to do to work at it? When, when, am I going to get coaching? Am I going to play in some tournaments? Am I going to... There are things that I can do. Do I want to teach golf? You know, whatever the example is, you can run it down the, the line here. It's just never too late. I look, I, it's I, never I, too late. Yeah, that's a, that's a brilliant answer. Um, I actually love, you said it's never too early either. Not many people say that. It's never too late is something we read and hear a lot. It's never too early is something that we actually don't hear that much. I, I just think that was a, yeah, I, I think that was a, a brilliant answer um, and, a, and a great way, uh, well, a very selfless answer as well, and a, and a great way to, um, to wrap up the podcast. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the book? Is there a website? Where can people follow you? Where can people buy it? Um, yeah, ab ab absolutely. Um, before I do that, just to, just to wrap up the thought on never too early. Again, that, that really is the selfish part of the book. It, it's really aimed at young, young adults. There's, there's so much, there's so much content for older people like ourselves. And there's, there's just, thousands of, of self-help books or inspirational books for adults. There are very few relatable, inspirational and practical books for, for young people, for high school and college. And, and ultimately that, that's really where I'd be thrilled if that's the, the biggest takeaway for the young adults. It's just, I, I can't um, alone tell Sean or share my experiences and have him hear them through his own lens and, and say, okay, yeah, I get it. Maybe the book in this larger context, when, when because they're, they're pretty excited about the book too. They know that people are, people come up to them in school and say, I hear your dad's writing a book. So it gets them a little jacked up too. But if, if the young people, if our golfers can, can, can get that, it's never too early mentality, mentally, they're going to be so much better off than we were. Um, but, but anyways, I appreciate you having me on. I hope I didn't talk too much. No, uh, it, honestly, is, um, just so you know, again, not to, I told you, it's told you it's hard for me to wrap up a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the first thing I'll do, or one of the first things I'll do when I get off this is look at flights to the UK. So there you go. Right. You know, you never, the, the, the butterfly effect, engaging with you. And I had a feeling this would happen. And, get, and that's why I wanted to selfishly do this in January. You were like, when I messaged you, you were like, well, let's wait till March. And, and I'm like, no, I want to hear about this now. 
Because to, to me, the job that I do, especially with teenage boys and girls, it gives me energy. It makes me feel young. I'm, I'm trying to help them. And then this podcast, I'm speaking to high performing people. I'm speaking to people who understand their internal drive. I'm speaking to people who are process focused. I'm speaking to people who've got great messages. And, you know, you've checked every single one of those boxes. So today I'm going to look at flights to the UK. And if I have to take four tests and it costs me $800, so be it. Let's get on the plane, Ian. Mark says, get on the plane. It's never Let's too early. It, it's never too I, early. It's, so, it's something. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear you say that. I, I really am. Um, the book, it, again, I, I, not a humble brag. Um, I, I'm proud of the book. I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of, I don't say famous people, but, you know, a lot of well-known people write memoirs. And uh, I, I just think this is, I'm just a regular guy. Let's be honest. I, I am. But I think the messages in the book. I, th I think reading about my my experiences as a teenager and what it was like growing up with my dad and and the struggles that I had they're real and they're they're different than our my kids struggles but I think the messages are just they're I think they're pretty they're pretty good they're powerful and I'm, I'm hoping it, it has the similar effect that it had on you like just get on a flight and go um, the website is, is markjresnick.com yep and there you can people can can um, basically subscribe to my email list because at that point when they, when this podcast comes out in, in March, March 13th, it'll be available on Amazon. There'll be an ebook, soft cover, hard cover, and an audio book. So there's plenty of different, plenty of options for everyone. Um, but really it's markjresnick.com to learn a little bit more about myself and get in touch with me and connect with me. I'd love to hear people's uh, stories. It, as you talk about your Alzheimer's journey, it, 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 you know, it was, it's like cancer 30 years ago. Like you just know somebody who's been impacted by it. Today, everybody has somebody yep. impacted by cancer, but Alzheimer's is that it's that next big, unfortunately, it's, it's going to become a lot bigger, which is so yep. sad. Yeah. Um, so people have stories. I'd love to hear about them. Perfect. Well, well, we'll put that out there. We'll get this out to the, the core audience, the core members, and, and as many people uh, as we possibly can. Uh, it's such a great message. Mark, I can't wait to um, walk the links with you. Uh, when the snow disappears, I'd still don't, I've not been here a full year yet, but I'm assuming May, June, we might start stomping on the golf course, uh, watching Sean and the rest of team core play some golf. So I can't wait to catch up and, and chat with you further uh, next year. Can't wait, brother. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot, Mark. Appreciate okay. it. Have a great yeah. day. Thanks for tuning in to the Core Performance Podcast, your one-stop shop for getting to the core of all things golf and human performance. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Ian and Andrew, check us out on Instagram at Core Academy. We'll see you next time.